Let us turn to the um, the scriptures, to Timothy chapter one, and we'll commence at reading verse one to seven. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangled himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Just excuse me, I've just got to take my hearing aid out, believe it or not, the battery's gone flat. There you are. And now if I start talking too loud, it's because I can't hear myself. But that's okay. I'll try and turn it down. In my preparation uh, this last week, I came across um, a section in Steve Lawson's, one of his latest books, and it's called The Legacy, What Every Father Wants to Leave His Child. Good book, by the way. And in this book, he quotes a study or a research that has performed the study on a couple a non-Christian couple, and he contrasts that non-Christian couple with a Christian couple and their descendants. And what they did was they took a guy by the name of Max Jukes. He was an atheist who had an unbelieving wife, and they traced their 1,200-plus descendants all the way through. And then they took another man called Jonathan Edwards, whom you'll know so well, who preached that famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, along with his godly wife, Sarah, and they also traced their 1,200 descendants. And so what I want to do with this illustration or this introduction is to help you all understand that good intentions and all the sincerity a person may possess is never, ever, ever enough. It's all about the decisions and choices a person makes that determine what you will pass on to others. This is all about the legacy that you will pass on to future generations. Listen carefully to the woeful legacy of Mr. Max Dukes. 440 lives of outright debauchery 310 paupers and vagrants, 190 public prostitutes, 130 convicted criminals, 100 alcoholics, 60 habitual thieves, 55 victims of impurity, and 7 murderers. 
And they worked out the total cost of this decadent fallout to the state of New York was $1,200,000. Now it's Jonathan Edwards' time. His descendants included 300 clergymen, missionaries, and theological professors, 120 college professors, 110 lawyers, 60 physicians, 60 authors of good books, 30 judges, 14 presidents of universities, numerous giants in the American industry, three U.S. congressmen, and one vice president of the United States. Amazing, right? Folks, the point I want to make here is that the choices and decisions that we make directly impact the legacy that you and I are going to leave for future generations. And this is the same point, may I say, that Paul wants Timothy and every reader of this letter that we are reading here, Second Timothy, to take on board. Because last week, or if you remember, we closed our time by looking at the contrast between two guys who were like the head honchos of a larger group, and these guys were called Philegius and Homogenes. These were guys who deserted Paul because of fear and being ashamed of the gospel that he was linked with, and they left them and they deserted them, they left them in the lurch. They made decisions and choices that without doubt, without doubt, would have nurtured negative and woeful consequences that only eternity would reveal. Then on the flip side, we saw the contrast of another man called Onesphorus and his household. They were not ashamed of Paul's chains and they chose to minister even putting their own lives at risk. They chose to minister and serve and refresh the Apostle Paul as a fellow servant in the gospel. In other words, Honest Forest was held up as an example for us to follow and to emulate. He becomes a living illustration for Timothy and every believer to follow and to take note of which I might say, as you are evidence here today, is still reaping an eternal reward right to this day. So as we approach chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, we need to be aware that this chapter flows straight out of the subject content of chapter 1. And because of that, we need to ask ourselves right this moment, what decisions and choices are we making that will build for a spiritual and a healthy legacy and be rewarded with in a coming day, well done, thy good and faithful servant? What am I passing on to the next generations and the generations to come? What story, when all said and done, is your sequel going to tell? Folks, choices and decisions make a direct impact on the legacy that you and I are going to leave, whether we like it or not. Now, because none of us want the legacy of Philegius and Hermogenes, 
it's a given that Timothy and every believer will want us to learn from Onesphorus' example, right? Remember, Timothy himself was flagging. He was under the pump. He was timid and perhaps even on the brink of, of making some wrong choices and wrong decisions that would have far-reaching consequences for his legacy and the witness of the gospel. So how does Timothy get back on track? How do we need to turn this around for ourselves like, dare I say, we often need to do? Well, Paul gives the answer in these verses that we've read this morning. First of all, he gives a command to be obeyed. We see that in verse 1. That is to be strong. And we'll talk about that. And then he follows that up with four illustrations that tell us how that command needs to be obeyed in the life of the Lord's servants. Okay, first of all, we're going to have a look at the command. The command to be obeyed is be strong. We see that in verse 1. And so what Paul does here, he takes it straight to Timothy as he is concerned that his son in the faith is balking at the pastoral task that is before him that it's demanded of him to, to pick up and run with. He's balking at it. And so he says to Timothy, be strong, Timothy. You can't afford to be ashamed. You can't afford to, to, to let your gift go stale and be extinguished. You can't afford to neglect the resources that God has given you. you. You must be faithful to the word of God, Timothy. You must identify and hang out with good and godly people if you're going to be an effective leader in the church, Timothy. That's what you must do. In other words, you must be strong. Be strong. You ever had that said to you? Have you ever had that said to you? Be strong. Come on, be strong and show some backbone for goodness sake or, or dig in and get a grip on yourself kind of advice. Have you ever had that said to you? Now, the timing of that kind of advice may be needed at times. I know it was certainly needed in my life. My father used to give it to me heaps. There is often one major element missing in that kind of advice. It often leaves the struggling person frustrated. They want to be strong. They want to be more dedicated. They want to be more secure. Just as any believer, true believer, longs deep within to have a healthy and leave a healthy spiritual legacy. We all want that, don't we? I don't see any nods. Surely we all want to be about that. But so often... We just don't know how to do it, how to be strong and to be more committed. You see, it's not enough just to say be strong. You have to tell them how. And so Paul says, Timothy, be strong and here's how. You have to see yourself as a teacher, a soldier, an athlete and a farmer. Those are the four pictures that he gives us from verses 2 to 6. These will help us even today to form in our minds what it is that we are to be in order to be strong and to leave a legacy that will reap eternal dividends. And so Paul lovingly calls on Timothy, his son of the faith, and he says, you therefore my son, you therefore my son, be strong. In other words, owing to all that has been said previously about your sincere faith back in, early in chapter 1 and about not being ashamed and, and using the resources, etc. that God has given you, Timothy, you have no reason on earth for not being strong for the ministry that God has called you to do. 
You have a sincere faith, faith, a divinely appointed ministry, and that ministry depends on you, Timothy, on being strong through using, at no matter what cost to yourself, the divine resources for the glory of God. You see, folks, to be strong, as we have here, is a command given to us all. This is just not for Timothy. Though this is a command to Timothy, it also applies to any, I might say, specifically in leadership in the church, and I would even go further, in the home, in ministry, and even in the workplace. But how are we to be strong? What's the basis of being strong? Well, the text tells us here, we're to be strong what? In what? In the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Vitally important. We dare not miss that out. Otherwise, we will just try and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps or draw from within. So if you studied the tenses of this command, you would see that be strong command. You would find that it carries the idea of keep on being empowered. That's what it really means, literally means. Keep on being empowered. In other words, this strength is not one like an adrenaline rush that you might pull yourself up on. And as I said, it's not pulling your own self up by your bootstraps, so to speak. This is all about drawing and drawing and drawing from the same grace of God in Jesus Christ that he saved us with. Because as we're saved by grace alone, we're also strengthened by God's grace alone. Did you know that? You see, God's grace, folks, is the power source. It's not us. We've sung about it grace this morning great songs that we sung the same grace that rescued us from sin and judgment is the same grace that sanctifies us and strengthens us for the master's use now of course we love to sing of grace don't we we love to understand and appreciate the wonderfulness of god's grace and that is exactly right and so we should and so as we think about that, we must understand that we are always ever in the circle, can I say, or in the sphere of God's grace. But to enjoy and to be strong and to be never be ashamed, we must be found in the place of obedience to be strong in His grace. It's a bit like marriage. I was just thinking of this um, this morning. A bit like marriage. Uh, we saw a wedding last night, you know, and, um, and many of you here have been through a wedding ceremony and, and are married. And, uh, and wow, positionally, we're married. Till death do us part. But is that where it stops? We've got to be strong in that marriage. How do we be strong? As Christians, we obey the word. Husbands that love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives would be submissive to their husbands, etc., etc. We have commands. We, have, we, there's, we need to obey the word in order to enjoy and to, be, and to flourish in that marriage, right? And it's the same with the Christian faith. By God's grace, we're being brought into salvation, but to enjoy and to flourish and to be strong in the Christian life, we must be found in a place of obedience. And so if you're saved and you're a disobedient Christian, no wonder you're disgruntled and don't want to be with us most of the time and, 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 and are frustrated because you're not in the place of obedience. That's simply what it is. You see, this is not all about let go and let God. 
And I say this because there's a kind of movement in around the world and um, amongst Christian circles, it's all about grace, 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 all about grace. And so it gives us license to sort of hang loose and let go and let God. That's not what it is. God's grace is also all about obedience. This is a call to build ourselves up here to be strong. This is a call to to build ourselves up in the most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit and by keeping ourselves in the love of God. We have that in Jude 20 and 21. So Timothy gets all this to some measure, you know, just like we kind of get it, we understand it, and um, what it is to be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. But let's be honest, we need a little bit more clarity, right? Paul kind of understood that in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He thinks, well, Timothy and my readers need a little bit more clarity on this, on this command. And Paul doesn't let us down. He gives us more clarity. This is where Paul uses these four pictures. And he gives us these four pictures for us to envisage so that that we can see how we need to, to live these pictures out in our lives. Paul's followed Jesus' example. You know, Jesus, when he preached, he used parables, pictures, word pictures and so that's what Paul does here to illustrate his message and so here he picks up four word pictures to see what we must be like in order to be strong to see God's power flowing through us and the first one is to be strong see yourself as a teacher verse 2 the picture of a teacher in action is seen at the end of verse of this verse and it's the whole point and thrust of the verse I might say it says, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul's saying here, Timothy, I taught you, you teach faithful and able men who will teach others also. Four generations are mentioned here. From Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others also. But may I add, this teacher picture shows us, it's a bit like links in a chain. It's an ongoing process, right? But this is not new, by the way. And you would know that. This model is not new. Remember Jesus, he taught the 12. It's interesting that he didn't pick 1,012 or 2,012. He picked just 12 men. And one of them made decisions and choices. He picked 12 men. And he taught his 12, who taught the next generation. And they taught the next, and they taught the next. Called discipleship. And so Paul says here, Here I am, Timothy, teaching you, and you are to keep this living chain alive by passing on what you have learnt from me to faithful men who will then teach others also. So not only does this teacher picture reach right back to the master teacher, Jesus himself, but it also reaches forward to those of future generations. To be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus we must see ourselves as teachers. You see, to nurture a healthy and a spiritual legacy, pastors and elders particularly must be teachers of the flock and also faithful men who will also be teachers. Because there is a specific here, the faithful men. What this faithful men here refers to, uh, it's, it's, it's a whole lot more than just to those who believe in the basic tenets of the gospel. Faithful men here is referring to those who are, are beyond reproach and character and also have a gift to teach and to lead others. These are the, 
the aspiring and future leaders of the church, they show promise. This means that the Lord does not empower everyone to teach as in a church situation or to be pastors and elders. You see, Timothy was a man with a God-given gift to teach. And Paul knew that. We have that in verse 6 of chapter 1. So to be strong in the grace of Christ, Timothy and every pastor must be like a teacher who deposits God's truth. That is, he entrusts to faithful men. That is, those who prove themselves to be willing stayers and loyal and eager to learn. Not everyone's like that. That's why I'm always on the lookout for younger men. Because those are the ones I want to pour my energy into. I'm not saying that I won't give my time to others. But my responsibility as a leader and an elder in this church is to pour my energy into men who are willing and eager to learn aspiring future leaders. I want to to leave a legacy here or go on to the next generation. These are the kind of men that the church needs. It's a good idea for you, all of us, to be praying that God would raise up such faithful men amongst us that there might be that ongoing, continual process that we see here. And of course there is a more there is a valid application that is more general than just church leaders here. Because every believer, every single one of us has a responsibility to teach God's truth to other believers, right? Every single one of us. None of us get off the hook here. Whether you be a parent or a husband and wife team, a Sunday school teacher, a single person, you need to be strong in the Lord First of all, by being what? A teacher of God's truth to whoever God brings across your path and gives you opportunity to teach. You cannot be indifferent to that. That's your responsibility. For you to be strong, you teach. Always remember, you know, it's, it's, it's a great principle. If you want to remember something, you want to lock something in your heart and soul, you teach it. It's just really good. It really works. I was thinking about this. It breaks my heart sometimes when I see homes where this model is being rejected. Too often, any spiritual teaching, especially in the home, for the kids, etc., may be left for the Sunday school teacher on Sundays. Or, or often it's mum who, for the lack of spiritual leadership of her husband, she has to go it alone. It's so sad. See, folks, if you want to leave a spiritual, healthy legacy, you must be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You must be a teacher, a discipler, and you must pass the baton of God's truth to those whom God has trusted to you. Be as a teacher. The second one is to be strong, see yourself as a good soldier. We see this in verses 3 and 4. This is another word picture. Now, for those of us here who know anything, and I'd say most of you would have some idea about what it is to join the forces or join the military. You will know that to be a good soldier involves several things. Obviously, the fact that there's a good soldier, there's the idea that you can be a mediocre or a poor soldier. But for you to be a good soldier, it would involve several things. And the first thing we see is a good soldier is willing to suffer hardship. Yeah, this is also what is needed to be a good soldier 
of Jesus Christ. This simply means that the rigors of duty and sacrifice that you are called to commit to will be demanding and difficult and even life-threatening. Yet your duty is to go all out and serve and to lay your life on the line when you're called to. That's what the idea is here. Paul could say in summing this up about suffering hardship, he could say to the Philippian church, he said in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's how, what willingness he was prepared to go through. And as you know, right now he was in prison when he wrote this letter, awaiting his execution. He knew what hardship was about, but he was willing to suffer. But dear people, to be strong in the Lord, to be a good soldier, as one who puts on the armor of God in order to fight the schemes of the devil, right? We have that in Philippians as well. He's one who stands firm. A good soldier is one who stands firm when persecution arises, when difficulties arise. He's one who defends the truth of God's word when it's attacked. And that happens heaps these days, doesn't it? He's one who stands firm and suffers willingly the ridicule and the backlash of cultural opposition, which happens every day of our lives. Paul says to Timothy, suffer with me. That is, be willing to share in the suffering I am going through. Don't hide, don't be indifferent, don't be ashamed. Don't desert the cause of Christ. Be as a good soldier. Another mark of a good soldier is that like any soldier in the military, once you put that uniform on and and swear your allegiance, you're no longer your own person. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You don't make up your own decisions. you're, You're under orders. You're under sealed orders. You no longer have a nine to five job anymore. You're on duty 24 7. This was illustrated to me powerfully when we were living in Israel. And um, I used to love going up and talking to the IDF. There's Israel Defence Force soldiers, and they were everywhere, you know. I used to chat with them, and most most of them could speak English, and uh, they're from all over the place. And um, and 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 because I was always interested in their weaponry, also mixed with some of the Palestinians, and I had a look at their weapons, and I even held one one time and asked them if I could fire a few shots off, but they wouldn't let me. Um, uh, but their, all their arms came from Russia. Okay. It was interesting. And, uh, of course, the Israeli Defense Forces, they had their own arms. Some come from America, but some they made their own. And, and I was always interested in their weaponry. And, but one thing that was impressed upon me is that um, that was a punishable offense for an Israeli as a soldier to be without his weapon or her weapon. They, they literally had it with them all the time. They ate with it. They slept with it. They were... Wherever they were, they were on duty 24-7. They had even weekends of R&R, but they still had to carry their weapon. They'd be taken to their family to a picnic, and there would be their M16 or whatever they had on their shoulder. See, their lives, their skills, their time, it was all put on hold. They all belonged to the military in which they served. And because of this change of ownership... Life for them as it used to be was no longer. In other words, a good soldier cannot afford and will only compromise his position 
and even his duty and even his whole unit that he belongs to, if he become or she becomes captivated or enmeshed in secondary matters and details of ordinary life. Their responsibility was total commitment to their duty. Folks, the believer, like a good soldier, must not become captivated and enmeshed in secondary details in the affairs of everyday life. Like things like wealth and things like popularity and, and social issues and politics even and pleasures. These are secondary matters and if they consume us to the expense of our call to duty as a good soldier, we compromise our position, our place in Christ. All these things will only compromise them. We are to willingly deny ourselves and take up his cross and follow Jesus Christ. That's what we're to do. Another mark of a good soldier we see here is that he will long to please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. You see that? We all want to do that, right? We all want to long to please our master, our Lord Jesus. But the tragic fact is there still remains a strong pull to please others rather than first please the Lord who has enlisted us. That happens. That's because we've still got this unredeemed flesh with us. But at the same time, we do know, as the Scriptures teach, we cannot serve two masters, Matthew 25 and 21. You know what? It all comes down to whom we love the most. That's what it comes down to, whom we love the most. And you know what? This very church that Timothy was pastoring, it's recorded in Revelation 2.2 that they lost their first love. They succumbed to be pleasers of man and themselves rather than God. They forsook Jesus Christ, their first love. Satan came in the side and, and they compromised their positions. And they became enmeshed in all sorts of other things. And they were weakened. They weren't good soldiers. My dear people, may we be strong in the Lord like a good soldier. He longs to please in every aspect of life, every aspect of life, our master who has enlisted us. And thirdly, to be strong, see yourself as an athlete. We see this in verse 5. Now, Paul loves using this word picture. He uses it several times in his epistles. No doubt taken from those early Isthmian games and that were well underway at his time. And uh, he used kind of living illustrations that were relevant even for his time. And we can still uh, gel well with them today. And, uh, but to see where he's coming from, it's interesting to know that the word athlete actually means a contest or to contest or contend and struggle. Now, we all know from our recent Commonwealth Games that we held in this country that there are many successful athletes, Right? And Australia certainly uh, put forward a number of successful athletes. And, but when we look right down to it, where does the success come from? It often comes down to sheer grit and determination to win the prize. This requires of them, as we know, years of training and struggling and self-discipline. But you know what? All the training and the self-discipline and the determination does not win the prize unless they compete according to the rules. Of course, our hearts went out, as you'll remember, the lady Claire Talent, the Australia's 20-kilometre woman walker, 
She had it in a bag. I think it was less than two kilometers off the finish line. Gold medal was in sight. And then she broke her walk for the third time. The third infringement went complete disqualification. Folks, the very fact that we are Christians, that we are born again, means that we are certainly qualified to enter the race as it were. But alongside the spiritual qualification of being in Christ and saved for a time and eternity, we need to be like an athlete who now, in the here and now, competes according to the rules. So that means there needs to be prayer. That means there needs to be Bible study and reading. There needs to be discipleship. There needs to be self-discipline. There needs to be faithfulness and loyalty to the local church. All these things are priorities. Everything else is secondary, right? There needs to be all those things. And Paul says the same thing to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 9 24, 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, of course, we do not compete against one another as Christians. Sad to say, some might, but that's not, that's not even in the equation. We don't compete against one another like athletes do in a race. But we do compete for a prize which will be awarded, folks, to every believer who is unashamed and strong in the Lord. You need to shoot for that. We need to shoot for that. I'm in for going in for rewards big time. And this is, a, this is the reward that we should be going in for and have it before. Because if you want to leave a legacy, you need to have this before you. We need to be those like a teacher who passes on God's truth and like a good soldier who suffers hardship and like an athlete who sets his mind in the prize. And the prize is the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day and not to me only but to all those who love his appearing. 2 Timothy 4.8 over the page a couple. Are you competing according to the rules, folks? That's the question. We need to. And finally, to be strong, you need to be like a farmer. We see this in verse 6. Being a farmer myself for many years, I understand this word picture very well. You know, there's nothing like the reward of working hard day in, day out, and then finally seeing the reward come in. Sometimes it takes a year, sometimes it takes less. To see that, in my case, that vat overflowing with milk, or just about, I wouldn't waste it, I'll put it another way. Or maybe that bumper crop of hay that you've worked and fertilized and, and made sure that it would come in or, or, or even those truckload of prime cattle that you load up ready for the market even before the paycheck comes in that initial reward makes all the long days rail hail or shine all the laborious hours the tedious attention that you must give the detail the demanding physical exertion all is worthwhile all the hard work pays off 
for the farmer. Great reward. My dear people, to be unashamed and strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, it's a lot like that. It's just plain hard work. Sometimes really, really honestly unattractive and unappealing, especially to the flesh. It's laborious and it can be so, so demanding. But every Christian needs to put his hand to the plough, carrying on that agrarian metaphor. We all should be like a farmer, right? We're all called to be strong and to be unashamed. And so we need to press forward. We're never to look back. We're never to give up. We're never to lose hope of the prize that's set before us. Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So now what? So now what? We'll come to the final verse. Paul tells Timothy and us all here this morning, consider what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. In other words, as you understand with your mind what has been said, we need to ask from the very heart, our very hearts, am I strong in the grace of Jesus Christ? Am I a teacher of God's truth as I should be? When God gives me opportunity to the people he has put across my path? Do I willingly suffer hardship for the gospel's sake or do I remain indifferent and pike out and kind of think I'm taking an easy road? Do I run the Christian race according to the rules? The rules found in God's word alone? Do I look for the prize and the reward in that coming day? Those are the questions we need to ask ourselves. If so, the Lord will give you, you know what? He will give you all the power and the wisdom to be strong. He'll give you insight to be strong in order to meet the challenges of serving Him in the here and now. And if we go down that trail, if we go down that track, if we follow that in the sphere of His grace and obedient to His word, you will leave a legacy behind that will reap eternal rewards in future generations. May God bless his word to us this morning. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we bow in a humbled Lord because we all know how far short we fall. But Lord, we want to be those who please you who has enlisted us each one you have called us by your grace and yet father because of that we know within our hearts and with your spirit that you have implanted in us we have a responsibility that we long to fulfill to be strong in the grace of our lord jesus christ well father help us to be this in our homes in our workplaces, wherever we serve, wherever we live, help us to be exactly that. Well, Father, we pray that your witness, the witness of the gospel through us, your power in the gospel through us might be manifest and might be evident and may reap eternal rewards. Help us, O Lord, we pray. 
So, Father, we commit ourselves to you in this task that you have set for us. In the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.